Welcome to Bible Talk. This week we're going to begin um, the rest of the year for 2023 in the year of the Apostles as we talk about the letters of the New Testament. And we're going to conclude for the rest of the year by focusing on the book of Revelation. Now, let's pray and then we'll jump right in. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to have this Bible talk and to open your word and to hear from you. Lord, I pray that all of the desires of John as he uh, recorded this book of Revelation, and he said, Blessed are those who read, those who hear, and those who keep the words of this prophecy. Father, I pray that we would um, read your word, that we would hear your word, and that we would keep your word, and that you would accomplish in this document what you want to accomplish in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about um, just the general perspective that we're going to take in the approach to the book of Revelation. Probably do that for the next two weeks of the Bible talk. Now, for those of you that are a part of the Sunday experience at DAC with the sermons, uh, either online or in person, keep in mind that as I lead these Bible talks, there's going to be a lot of... Um, a lot of replication. In other words, we'll, we'll talk about many of the same things. And the reason that that's the case is because I believe that as we talk about the book of Revelation, I think it's helpful to have some repeated concepts and to help us get some formative idea in our mind. Because the approach that I'm going to take to the book of Revelation is probably not from our perspective coming from a quote-unquote evangelical background. Is probably not going to be uh, similar to what most of us have experienced. Um, I'll explain more about that in the next weeks as we as we move forward. But this week we're beginning with a little bit of a background and overview and perspective on the Book of Revelation, um, and we'll continue the same next week as well. As Marquise Laughlin, the Sunday following the day that this Bible talk is being put online, which would be the uh, uh, 13th of, of September, then the next, the following Sunday, Marquise Laughlin will be with us. He's a dramatist, a Christian um, orator, if you will, as he will do a dramatic recitation of the entire book of Revelation, both on Sunday morning and Sunday night to kind of kick off our uh, focus on the book of Revelation for the remainder of 2023. Now, that being said, let's, let's look at some of the big picture. The book of Revelation was um, recorded by John. We have no reason to believe that it wasn't anyone other than John the Apostle, whom he indicates in uh, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 1. Um says, My brother, I John, your brother and partner in the tribulation kingdom and perseverance uh, in Jesus was on the island called Patmos, Patmos because of God's word and the testimony about Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet saying, Write on the scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, 
so John the Apostle, and it was most all Bible scholars would um, confirm that this this revelation and this document probably was was uh, was recorded uh, uh, after 90 A.D. Uh, toward the end of of John the Apostle's life. Now, in in terms of the big picture. Um, Many of you, most of you, perhaps all of you that are listening to me right now have previously read and been exposed to the book of Revelation. And you will know that the book of Revelation is a vision given to John that he records from the Lord Jesus. And, and it, is, it, it has references to contemporary events that are going on right then, the letters to the seven churches, and John's introduction are all about things that are happening in real time uh, in 90-ish A.D. Um, we also see that there are future events that clearly, as you get into chapter 19, uh, 20, 21, and 22, as you see the um, overthrow of Babylon the Great in 17 and 18, you see... Um, you see um, uh, the establishment of the, new, uh, the, 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 the the return of the bridegroom the, at the wedding feast of the Lamb, the return of Jesus. You see a, a thousand-year reign of Jesus. You see the establishment of the New Jerusalem, etc., etc., and the new heaven and the new earth. So in other words, you've got contemporary events. You've got events that clearly are going to be consummated at the end of... Uh, time for this cosmos as we know it. You also have a lot of imagery uh, in the book, um, and interestingly, all the imagery has a precedent in the Old Testament. That's something that most people, uh, we'll talk more about that as we move forward with it, but it has a precedent. You have a lot of imagery in the book that is obviously symbolic in nature, um, so there's a degree of allegory that, um, that is challenging, but again, it's less challenging when you look at the precedent in the Bible and the, and the Old Testament references to what's going on. And, and then you also have the reality that, um, so you've got the present events when John is, is speaking, you've got the future events at the consummation of the age, You've got the imagery that details all the above, especially in the intervening chapters, um, beginning with chapter 4 and following. But you've also got the reality that it's been 2,000 years, 1,900 years roughly, since John recorded this vision. And we know from the New Testament that the Apostle Paul and, and Peter, Peter, the expectation of Jesus' return before uh, the end of the first century, I mean, practically speaking. In other words, the New Testament believers thought that Jesus would return in their lifetime. So much so that both Peter and Paul, uh, Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, and Paul in um, uh, First and Second Thessalonians 
had to spend extensive time addressing the issue of why hadn't Jesus already returned? And there were even some believers who were dying before he returned, uh, and what was going to happen to them, because there was that constant expectation of returning to Jesus. Based on the way the Bible talks about the second coming of Jesus, and based on the obvious understanding of the New Testament church, which was, of course, proposed by the apostles, they thought he would come in their lifetime, that he would return again. Peter says to the Jews in Acts chapter 3 on Solomon's porch, uh, when he preached uh, after healing the lame man, Peter says in about verse 19, he says, Repent and return in times of refreshing will come from the Lord, and he will send the Messiah appointed for you. So he was telling the Jewish people in mass if they would, you know, as the majority of them would turn to the Messiah and and receive Jesus, then Jesus would come back in their lifetime, right then, in, as a matter of fact. And that explains why Paul says later on in Romans, especially in chapter 11, that there was a partial hardness on Israel preventing them from believing that God didn't extend that grace fully to them uh, so that Gentiles could have a, a chance to hear. So what I'm getting at in all this is that not just the first century church, but, it, but it's, it's certainly plausible to assume that, that believers for the past 2,000 years have lived with the expectation of Jesus' return. And that's the normal Christian life. So the question then remains... Not only the book of Revelation, did it describe current events? Did it describe end time events? And was it was there imagery involved? But also, what does it have to say to the guy living in 1000 AD who's serving Christ and suffering for him? Um, doesn't it have something to say to him as well? So the point I'm getting at is that... The idea, and I've, I've been following the Lord for a lot of decades now, and I've had interaction with a lot of people, and over and over and over and over again, we've had things come up where people have said, wow, this is the end, it's happening now. Look, all these things in Revelation are coming true, so Jesus is coming now. In our generation, like we're the generation. Well, I hope so. That that would be that would be absolutely fine with me. But to presume that Christians haven't thought the same thing for two thousand years would would be naive at best. So what I'm saying is, did the book of Revelation have anything relevant for that guy that lived in a thousand AD? So all of those questions lead to the fact that for the past 2,000 years, if, as people have read the book of Revelation, there have been uh, essentially four different interpretive approaches to the book. First, there's called the preterist interpretation. P-R-E, preter, P-R-E-T-E-R-T-I-S-T. Preterist, no. I-S-T, not another second T. P-R-E, pre, T-E-R-I-S-T. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. And, and there's the preterist, which, which meant that the book of Revelation 
was relevant for that generation and it was and, and everything in the book of Revelation was occurring in real time when John wrote it. And that's that's not without legitimacy if you had talked to the early Christians who were being persecuted by the Romans. I mean, you know, uh, by this time Nero had used uh, Christians uh, burning bodies to light the streets of Rome. I mean, okay, so there's a great tribulation coming. Oh, tell me how it's going to be worse than that. <laughs> so that that's certainly legitimate. Then there is the uh, futurist approach, which is in the circles that Deltona Alliance Church and and the quote-unquote, as I said, evangelical world, for lack of a better, I hate definitions and terms, but because everybody's got their own understanding and we talk past each other. But that's the common consensus that from chapter 4 certainly on, that, that everything, it's like there's this gap from the end of chapter 3 to the beginning of chapter 4 that um, everything kicks in gear in the, in the final, you know, seven years before the return of Jesus. Um, that's the futurist view. And so most, again, I throw out the term, most Bible-believing, evangelical-type folks um, would, would believe that it, it's a preterist-futurist approach. In other words, the first three chapters are current events when John wrote it, and chapter 4 to 22 is at the end of time. Okay, And that's, that's the, the common approach to the book that has been, that has been offered by most of that we're that most of the people that are connected to Delton Alliance Church who've had anything to do with the book of Revelation, that's the approach they would would have would have been exposed to. The other two perspectives on the book are that ideal the idealist approach, which revelation, which is full of imagery, um, that that it's almost like an, an allegorical approach, which Augustine would have been very, very much about this approach, the famous St. Augustine of Hippo, um, that all of this was representative, that the, that the imagery was representative and the book had to be understood through the proper understanding of the imagery. But then the fourth approach is a historicist approach whereby the book of Revelation provides um, an unfolding of reality throughout the history of the church. And so it has some degree of relevance to every generation of Christians. Now, that being said, what typically happens is that Christians fall into one category or another. Uh, they fall into one category or another, and they choose one or the other, or maybe a combination, as I mentioned, with the preterist futurist approach. That being said, um, what what I my contention is, and my approach, and this is how I approach the book a little bit differently than most people in the same um, expression of Christianity that I'm in is I believe all four are relevant 
And I think that, as I just explained in that extensive introduction about the different sections of the book and the different realities throughout the history of the church and you compare it to other scriptures, is that I believe that all four are relevant. And then, most importantly, and our time is fast fading here, so I need to do this quickly, but I'll come back to this, believe me, is that the biggest, I think, mistake that people make about the book of Revelation is viewing it differently than the other 65 books of the Bible. We know clearly from Jesus on the Emmaus Road after the resurrection in John 5, 45 to 47, when he says, where Moses wrote about me, talking about the Pentateuch, um, Genesis through Deuteronomy. We know from the Emmaus Road after the resurrection, Jesus said everything about the, the Psalms, the, prop, the writings, the prophets, the law, it was all about me. In other words, the whole Bible is about Jesus Christ. So why wouldn't this book be about Jesus Christ? See, it's not about us being able to figure out what's going on around us in the world. It's about us being able to figure out Jesus Christ. And that's confirmed in the first five words of the book. The revelation of Jesus Christ. And the reason that's critical is because the, the structure there in the original text of the original language, the Greek language of the New Testament, is a, a genitive structure of Jesus Christ, is a, a genitive construction. That means Jesus uh, is the possessor of the revelation. It's, 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 it's re relevant to Jesus. The question is, is it a subjective genitive or an objective genitive? Because those two, those two, now you say, what do you mean? Well, a subjective genitive means that he is the possessor of the revelation and he's the one who has it and he's the one who dispenses the information. An objective genitive would mean that Jesus is the subject of the revelation. In other words, it's a revelation about him. And I remember many years ago, it was a eureka moment for me, that I, uh, I, I uh, was reading and studying this passage, and, and it occurred to me, why, why can't it be both? I mean, why, why can't it be a, a revelation that Jesus himself has, and it's his possession that he shares, which is clearly true from the book, but also, why can't it be a revelation about him? In other words, why can't this book teach about Jesus, just like the other 65 books of the Bible do? So that was a question that I had. And then I remember reading the translation notes from a Bible translation called the New English Translation, which uh, the translators do a favor because they put extensive notes in the footnotes of the text to talk about, okay, here's a difficult word to translate, and you know, some say this and some say that, and here's why we chose XYZ. It's very, very fascinating to look into the minds of the translators. And when I read their notes, it said exactly what I had come up with. And it just blew my mind. It said, it, it is a plenary genitive. That means it includes all of that. Jesus is both the subject and the object. Or the subjective, he both possesses the revelation and he gives the revelation and it's about himself. So this book is about Jesus. We're going to talk a lot more about that in time to come. I know I've thrown a lot at you today, like drinking from a fire hose. Thank you for hanging with me. 
and may we continue to see uh, the exaltation of the Lord Jesus through his revelation. Amen? Father, thank you. And may we uh, learn to honor you uh, just as you are revealed in glory in the word of God that you gave us, especially in the book of Revelation as we focus on it now. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next time.